Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Today's story is complicated, to say the least. On the surface, it seems like the deaths of a 100 or more women have been solved, placing a man born on September 19, 1947, behind bars for the rest of his life. But with new victims showing up even to this day, corruption in the police department, and a city overrun with crime, it's difficult to say who is responsible and just how many serial killers running around Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On October 3rd, 1995, 19-year-old sex worker Blanca Estela Diaz contacted police to report a man named Abdul Latif Sharif. According to her claims, this man had abducted her and kept her for three days, during which time he beat, raped, and threatened to kill the young girl. 
Despite her brave stance against her abuser, Blanca reportedly showed no signs of sexual abuse. And because of this, her case was ultimately dismissed. But the name Abdul Latif Sharif was not. It was around this time that the local police were receiving a lot of pressure from the Chihuahua government to solve a series of murders that went on to claim over 100 victims. And one look at Abdul's criminal record told them that he could be a viable suspect in this femicides. The first victim of the killer the press named the Juarez Ripper was a woman named Alma Farrell, who had been beaten, raped, and strangled to death on January 23, 1993. But by the end of the year, her name would be joined by at least 16 more victims, all of which were found killed using the same MO, most were found with slashes on their breasts, and all were missing their underwear, which soon became a calling card of sorts from the Juarez Ripper. A year later, eight more women were killed, and by 1995, the number reached all the way to 29. At first, the murders were written off as an attack from a jealous boyfriend, involvement in gang violence, or drug overdoses. But as the number reached the double digits, it was hard to ignore the fact that, while some cases could be attributed to the high crime rate in the area, there was likely a serial killer walking around their city. According to the sources, when the similarities were plugged into their system, nearly one-third of the 187 women killed since 1993 fit the Juarez Ripper's pattern. With all of this in mind, the officers in 1995 looked at Abdul Sharif's records with a renewed sense of confidence. They couldn't help but feel that they were close to solving this horrible case. Abdul Latif Sharif was born on September 19, 1947, to a Muslim family living in Egypt. Unfortunately, like most of the men and women in our stories, Abdul's life wasn't a happy one. Sexually abused by his father and other male relatives, Abdul was forced to stay at home rather than go to school like the rest of the children his age, despite the fact that he seemed to show signs of an above-average intelligence. When he was 12 years old, his father arranged his marriage to his 10-year-old cousin. But three years later, Abdul abandoned his betrothed and headed straight to the United States, an action his family deeply disapproved of and allegedly cast a black magic spell on him as a result. More on that in a minute. Later in life, Abdul showed off that intelligence by studying engineering at Cairo University and achieving an average of 9.9, and working as a high school teacher, a university instructor, and later, traveled to New York to find work in cosmetics, paint, and skincare companies. He was intelligent, professional, successful, and attractive, so he had no problem finding himself a female companion, marrying twice and having five long-term partners during his 21-year stay in the United States. But Abdul wasn't always that wonderful man he appeared to be on the surface. After eight years of working at the same company in New York, Abdul was fired in 1978 because of his alcohol problems, moved to Pennsylvania for three years, and then to Florida in 1981, where he committed the first of what would become many sexual assaults, luring a woman named Molly Fleming into his home by promising her a job as a housekeeper, kidnapping, beating, and sexually abusing her. He was given a five-year conditional release. It was in Florida that he met and married a woman who would end the relationship because of his heavy-handed approach to being a husband. Some sources claim Abdul was a pedophile who tortured animals and collected women's clothing, 
But according to other sources, this was an invention created by the prosecution around the time he was finally brought to trial. Almost immediately after leaving prison in August of 1981, Abdul Sharif assaulted another woman named Susan Waite. Susan was a university student living in his home, and after she reported him to police, he was arrested and sentenced to 12 years in prison, only serving five years and four months. Once released, he moved to Midland, Texas, where he was hired by a technology company which, after getting arrested again for drunk driving in 1991 and raping another woman in 1993, sponsored his defense team. It was after this final arrest, after threatening it a number of times, that Abdul was told he could be paroled if he promised to never set foot on U.S. soil again. So instead, he moved to Ciudad Juarez on May 14, 1994, while still working for and financially sponsored by the company that helped him with his release, working as a prominent chemist and working on and patenting various petrochemical processes. All of this brings us right back to Blanca Estela Diaz and the accusations she made against Abdul Sharif. Just 20 minutes after he was released for the crimes against Blanca, Abdul was remanded for the disappearance of a 17-year-old girl named Elizabeth Castro Garcia, with whom he had allegedly had a relationship with. She was reported missing by her sister on August 15, 1995. A body matching her description was later found buried in the desert, But when forensics got a hold of the case, realized that it was not the body of Elizabeth, but an entirely different missing woman named Sylvia Rivera Salas. So Abdul was charged, convicted, and sentenced to 60 years in prison for Sylvia's death. And while behind bars, a new criminal proceeding was opened, accusing Abdul of killing not just Sylvia and potentially Elizabeth, but 17 other women in Ciudad Juarez women whose bodies just kept showing up all over the city. Given his history and the fact that he was a foreigner who did not speak Spanish, this made him an easy target for the crimes, making it easier for the families of the victims to cope with their loss and easier for the citizens of Juarez to sleep at night. However, one day Abdul surprised everyone when he summoned the media to give a press conference in which he promised to give the names of the real murderers giving the names Alejandro, the son of a prominent businessman, and Melchor Menez to the public in broken Spanish. He claimed to have met Alejandro in a bar in El Paso, Texas, and heard the man bragging about murdering a young woman with the help of his cousin Melchor, and that it was Melchor's father who paid off the police so the men could continue their crimes. Both men were never questioned. This was the first of a few press conferences held by Abdul, And, infuriated by his actions, the Attorney General's Office of Chihuahua transferred him to a prison for highly dangerous offenders in hopes of shutting him up, denying him the right to see his attorney as the situation in Juarez only seemed to get worse. You see, despite being behind bars, bodies of young women killed by the same MO were still showing up all over the city. In fact, between October of 1995 and April of 1996, While Abdul was behind bars, 12 murders were registered in the city, resulting in the arrest of an entire group of serial killers called the Ciudad Juarez Rebels. 
That same year, another group, the Ruteros of Ciudad Juarez, were also arrested, leaving many to wonder if Abdul was even guilty, especially considering the first murder attributed to the serial killings was committed before Abdul even entered Mexico. Though there were indications that he was a scapegoat of the attorney general's office who were desperate to find answers to their problems, authorities claimed that Abdul hired the Ruteros specifically to commit murders while he was behind bars to make it look as though he was innocent. According to the stories, a young girl, 14 years old, escaped her abductors and was able to give a testimony that became a major break in the case. According to her story, which led to the arrest of the five men, female employees at American-owned factories were shuttled back and forth by bus drivers who were supposed to provide them safety on their commute. Instead, they were abducting, raping, and killing these girls in rapid succession. Bus drivers who, according to their testimony after their arrest, were supposedly hired by Abdul Sharif for $1,200 once the Ruteros brought him back the girls' underwear as proof. While this story would certainly explain some of the parts of the Juarez mystery, it is far from the final clue to wrap up the whole case in a pretty bow. In fact, most think the story is ludicrous. There are so many unanswered questions, both pointing to his guilt and pointing towards another option, and it seems that most are okay with not receiving a concrete conclusion. Comfortable with Abdul Sharif taking the fall for murders, he may, or may not, have committed. On June 1st or 2nd, depending on the source, Abdul Latif Sharif died at the age of 59 of cardiac arrest. Prior to his death, he had been diagnosed with liver cirrhosis subsequent to hepatitis C and alcohol hepatitis and a major depressive disorder, with many believing that his death was one final strange piece to this complicated story. He maintained his innocence until the day he died. To this day, the murders in Ciudad Juarez continue with the same modus operandi in which they began in 1993. Meaning, if you believe this sort of thing, Abdul's family curse may have been real. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 20th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.